Before we get into the next episode of the Conjugate Chats, I want to thank the Department of Young Strain Coaches, the DOYSC, for sponsoring today's episode. The DOYSC is to help young coaches into the field of strength conditioning, whether that is CSCS prep, live discussions, internship or GA opportunities, or anything else strength conditioning related. They are here for a resource for young strength coaches going into the field of strength and conditioning. I'll drop the link in the description to the DOYSC's Discord so any young coach can have access to this awesome resource. So thank you for listening to the Conjugate Chats and the DOYSC for sponsoring today's episode. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. I have on here Blaine Donahoe of Good Pasture Christian School. Blaine, how you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. So you are the Director of Strength and Conditioning over at Good Pasture, correct? Yes, sir. Good Pasture Christian School in Nashville, Tennessee. So you're in Middle Tennessee. Awesome. You're about... Mm-hmm. I want to say two hours east of here. I'm in Jackson, oh, Tennessee. Right now? Oh, Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Oh, dude. I didn't realize we were that close. Yeah, man. That's why I went to uh, NatCon this uh, this past NatCon yeah. in Nashville was because it was so close to home. Yeah. No, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I had no idea you were that close to me. That's, that's pretty cool. We got to make a date where we can uh, come and visit each other's sites, dude. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Let's go ahead and jump into this thing. So tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, so uh, my my upbringing in the strength conditioning world um, is somewhat typical in the fact that it's it's not super exciting, but it's somewhat untypical in the fact that I'm going to be real with you, man. Like, I know guys that have – had to grind. I mean, like grind multiple years on unpaid internships and things like that to get to where they are. And I respect that so much. And I had to do a little bit of that, but I'm going to be real with you. I got connected with some of the right people and I got kind of thrown into this head coaching position pretty early and, and I'm 100% blessed by it. But the, the way it all kind of worked out was uh, I went to Tennessee tech university um, got my bachelor's in exercise science and my master's in exercise science there. Um, kind of developed a passion for just the weight room in general when I was in high school. Um, around my sophomore year, I went to a very small public school in rural Tennessee, uh, Portland, Tennessee, up north, uh, right on the Kentucky border. And uh, we uh, we didn't have any strength coach, didn't honestly even know strength coaches existed at the high school level. Um, thought that was only like a professional level type thing. Uh, but uh, I was, I grew up being a soccer and a basketball guy. And so um, when I got into high school, as a freshman, I weighed 120 pounds soaking wet. And so uh, I was kind of getting tossed around on the soccer field and things like that. I just figured something had to change if I was going to ever make it. Um, and so, again, like I said, around sophomore year, just started going to my local gym in my hometown and um, just started watching what other people did and just tried to mimic it, you know, kind of just the typical start that we all get, right? Have no idea what you're doing, just going in there and trying to do something productive, you know? Right. And uh, 
and so it went on. Uh, I started learning more, started getting invested into it, really enjoyed it, became a passion, um, started, started to kind of program for myself. Um, again, this is still in high school, so it was terrible programming, but programming nonetheless. Um, but uh, again, like I said, developed a passion for it, knew immediately when I went to college that this is the route I wanted to take with it. Uh, so like I said, went to Tennessee Tech, got my bachelor's and my master's in exercise science. Um, immediately started getting internships and stuff. I actually interned, I was an assistant strength coach um, intern at uh, Tennessee Tech uh, for a little while. Um, then in my master's program, I, I realized pretty quick that high school was probably the level I wanted to be at uh, in regards to this field. Um, a lot of that was learned from my internship at Tennessee Tech. You know, Tennessee Tech's not a very, very big school, but it, it's it's big enough to be division one. Um, and so got to spend a lot of time with a lot of freak athletes there. And it was super rewarding and learned a lot, but also realized really quick that I wanted to be with the lower level guys because I just felt it was more rewarding. You know, like some of these guys at, at Tech and in college in general would walk into a weight room and knew exactly what to do and how to do it extremely well at a very high level. And that's great. And it was a lot of fun. But as you know, you got guys at this high school level, man, that they don't even know how their own body works. You right. know, like you got to teach them the basics. You got to teach them the foundation and just the rewarding aspect of, of seeing the light bulb go off and things kind of click on these foundational movements and developmental movements that you know for a fact are gonna make them a better athlete and just a better mover in general is huge for me. I mean, like I get so much joy out of it. So I knew pretty quick that I wanted to be at the high school level. Um, that's when I went and got an internship at Good Pasture um, during my master's program um, under uh, the previous strength coach who was JT Rankin, um, who is now the strength coach over at Boyd Buchanan in Chattanooga. Um, and one thing led to another and JT went on to his Boyd Buchanan job and I was able to slide right in and take his spot. Um, so all that's to say, like I said, I'm, I'm 25 years old, basically fresh out of school um, with a head strength coach's position and super, super blessed by it. Absolutely love that school, love those athletes to death. But on the flip side, I've kind of had to learn a lot of things on the fly because I'm coming off two internships being thrown into, this, thrown into this head position. And, you know, I want to do it well. I want to do it right. I, I feel like I owe that to my athletes, to my coaches. And so I'm having to learn and, and connect with coaches. And I've had so many conversations with different coaches about different things. And I try to reach out and research and listen to podcasts and watch videos and all this stuff. I mean, you know how the grind is, right? You never Absolutely. stop learning. And so that's, that's, been, that's been super rewarding but also super stressful, you know, right. because like I said, I'm, I'm here now and it's, it's a blessing and I love it with all my heart and wouldn't want to be anywhere else doing anything else, but I also got to do a good job, you know? Right. Absolutely. Now you said you're from Tennessee, right? Born and raised. Yeah. Yeah. Same mm -hmm. here. So, uh, I'm on the West side of Tennessee. I grew up around like right. Dyer County and Dyersburg. That's where I, yeah, I kind of grew yeah. up and stuff like that. So hearing like where you were at, stuff like that, I'm like, okay, you know, we're kind of got the same little same background. I'm the same age as well, you know, 25 years old, trying to, you know, maneuver way, you know, through 
strength and conditioning and all that kind of stuff. So that's awesome to see you have a director of strength and conditioning job, you know, 25 years old and everything like that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Like I said, man, what, I, I'm more blessed than I can, I can even explain, but uh, just trying to do a good job for these kids. That's, that's the hard part, but also the fun part. You know? So how is it being, I kind of run into this now being so young and having to be in that leadership role at the same time. How does that work out? Yeah. And so again, over the past, I've, I've been in my role now for, it's been a year and, and a few months now. Um, and that's one thing that I've had to kind of sift through and figure out, right? It, it's one of those things that you ain't going to really know how to do it until you're in the thick of it, in the weeds with them. Right. Right. Um, and so I can't give an actual answer that's going to work for everyone. Cause if anyone knows that, please let me know. Uh, but the one thing that I've been able to figure out personally in my situation is you have to push them to let them know that you know what you're talking about, right? So you have to push them to the extent to, if you push them to the extent to where they can push themselves and then you have testing materials in order so they can see their numbers physically in, num in number formation go up, all right? They're gonna buy in. And if they see their, their progress being made from a number formation, from a number standpoint, stats don't lie, right? right? So if they see that progress being made from a statistical standpoint, they will buy into you. They will gain your trust, right? So that's a big thing. But also another thing, too, you have to understand where you are in age comparison, in respect levels. Like this isn't I'm not in a situation where I've been a 30 year strength coach at super super high level universities or anything like i i gotta kind of earn their respect in a sense too right yeah and so i think you can almost use the age difference being so small for us i think you can almost use that to your advantage in a way too because if like i said if you push them to the extent to where they'll work hard for you and you can physically show them the results if they do that for you you can also on the other hand kind of get down on their level a little bit and say look I am going to push you. I'm going to expect a lot out of you because I know what you can and can't do. Right. But also I'm here to joke with you. I'm here to have fun with you. I'm not going to be the strength coach that wants to come in here and bury you into the ground. And I've been, I've been here and I've seen this and I know what elite looks like and yada, yada, yada. And you're not there. You need to be there. I, I'm not here to be that guy. I'm here to be your coach. I'm here to push you so we can get the results that you want to see, just like I want to see them too. But also, let's have fun. Let's have fun with it. You know, if we're between sets and you want to have a dance party and freaking turn the music up and gritty around the room, let's gritty around the freaking room. You know, <laughs> like get on their level, man. Like these guys, these seniors are what, seven, eight years younger than me? Like get on their level a little bit. Make them respect you by, by them earning your respect, by showing them the results of your program that you know what you're talking about and let them know the standard, right? Set the standard early and let them know what you expect out of them and meet them at that standard. You know, if you say, hey, I expect you in the weight room at this time every single day, make sure I'm in the weight room before that time every single day. So meet them at your own standard that you set, 
Okay. Right. But as long as you set the standard early and meet that standard yourself, along with pushing them to meet that standard for them, push them in their exercises and their lifts and their speed work and their change of direction, agility stuff, push them to the extent that where they can see the results when you show them after you've had a good testing system in place to be able to show them their progress and then getting down to their level and having fun with them as well. The combination of all that has made a world of difference for me. And again, it's taken me over a year to figure that out and that's still not even a foolproof plan, but we're getting there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And something kind of came across my mind is, do you feel like you kind of had to prove yourself not only to like the athletes, but administration and, you know, sport coaches, you know, you're young, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're just stepping into a leadership role and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think you've got to uh, kind of prove yourself in that sense? Like, for example, for me, like, you know, I squatted over 400 pounds the other day, you know, and the freshman athletes, when they see that, they see, you know, oh, Coach Raspberry, you know, he's a strong guy, you know. Do you think you got to do that stuff for your athletes and for administration and for your sport coaches kind of to yeah. gain that, I, I, I don't want to say respect, but kind of gain yeah. that um, buy-in? From your, yeah. from just not even the athletes, but the coaches and administration. Yeah, that's a really good question, um, and I think it's very situational. Uh, I have some athletes that could care less what I've done and what I can do. Um, now, I will say this though: the athletes who are the most competitive, who are the most driven, and the most passionate about being in that weight room are always curious about what I've done and what I can do currently. So in a sense, I would say you need to be able to do the things well that you tell your athletes to do to an extent, right? They have to also understand, and you have to understand yourself. I used to struggle with this a lot, right? I used to struggle with if, if I push an athlete to run a a 10 yard fly with a five yard lead in, right? That's, that's kind of our standard for acceleration here. That's how we measure that five yard lead, 10 yard fly measure the 10, right? And so if I push an athlete to try to get that down into the low 1.2s, which is pretty dang fast, right? I used to struggle with the fact that I may, may, I may not be hitting that right now, right? But the fact of the matter is, I don't train like these guys train, you know, right. I have a full-time job now. I have a wife at home. Like I don't have the time that these guys have to buy into their sport. I'm not a competitor anymore and I'm okay with that. Right. But on the other hand, I have to let them know that I do the things that they do. Right. It may not be the exact same workout, but like, for example, right now with our football team. Okay. Um, our football team and all of our off-season teams right now too, just a little bit different. But all of our guys and girls are going through an eccentric phase right now. We're all doing it, okay? So I had football this morning, early morning, 7 o'clock, right? Then right after that, I had a group of basketball guys come in. It just so happened it doesn't always work out this well. Apparently today it did, though. It just so happened that both football and basketball had eccentric bench today. Well, I had about an hour of leeway in between those two groups. So I got my own workout in in between, 
right? That's the only time I was going to get today, and and that's fine. But I the basketball guys walked in, and they saw me do an eccentric bench. They're about to do it in the next 30 minutes, right? I think stuff like that is huge for not only gaining respect. I know respect is kind of a weird word to use in that, that sense because it's not necessarily I – I care less about the weight that I lift compared to my athletes and more about if I'm willing to put myself through the workout that my athletes do, is yep. that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, it's one of those things, like, now, granted, in this specific situation, I'm a pretty strong bencher. I'm a, I'm a relatively small guy. I'm only 190 pounds, and I'm five foot ten, right? And my bench is, my bench max is somewhere around 325 or something. And so for this eccentric portion, it's three sets of five, five seconds on the way down, right? As heavy as you can go, right? So I'm using, I believe I ended my last set around 215. And so to those guys, that's a lot because we don't have any 325 pound benchers. So I did get the best of both words there where they were like, oh, wow, like coaches, that's really strong. But again, don't care so much about that. Care more about the fact that they see me doing what they're about to do. So when I coach them up on that and push them on that, because as you know, eccentrics, they got to be pushed, right? It's really easy just to give in mentally on eccentrics and just let it go, right? So you got to push them. It helps them tremendously knowing that, oh, well, I mean, Coach Donahoe just did this right before me. It's not like I can just kind of sandbag it. You know, if he's doing it, he's going to expect a lot out of me because he knows exactly what I'm going through, you know? Yep. So uh, long, long overdrawn out answer to your question, but all in all, I'll care more about me doing the activity, the lift, the speed work, me doing the specifics of what they do and letting them know that I know how they feel in that moment rather than comparing the weights and the numbers and the percentages to what they do. I think that's huge with athletes seeing you take care of your body, take care of, you know, doing the lifts and, you know, actively being, you know, just active in general, you know, you like, you know, seeing you bench press, I don't know how much weight, but having those eccentrics and doing the actual exercises. Yeah. Like one thing that we're doing is dead hangs. You know, if you can't do a pull-up, you're going to sit there, you're going to hang on the bar. Until everyone's done, you're going to hang on the bar. I mean, there are times where I go on the bar too. I said, you know, I'm hanging with you. I said, you know, I'm not going to let go. If I don't let go, you're not letting go. You know, kind of taking that, that lead. You know, kind of taking that lead there. So I think that's huge, you know. Once you start getting, you know, towards later in the career, you know, you don't probably have to bench like 330 pounds to get buy-in. But I definitely right. do think that helps, you know, seeing, especially, you know, you're talking about being a little bit of a smaller guy, you know. I like uh, coaches that are a little bit smaller, but they're just ridiculously strong, you know. We've True. had we've had those athletes before. You know, we look at someone that doesn't look like they can do any weight, and then they end up squatting like 500 pounds, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's huge. And, you know, especially football guys. I'm a big football person, played it for 13 years. And, you know, when you squat that big weight, you know, the 500, 600, you know, benching over 300, I mean, when you see a 190-pound guy do it and then you're looking at your offensive linemen and none of them can do it, I mean, yeah. it, kind of, it does bring that buy-in. That, yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. 
Um, do you have any hobbies outside the weight room? Hobbies outside the weight room. Uh, I do anything outside is is gonna be a go for me. Um, I love the outdoors. Uh, I really enjoy hunting. Um, I really enjoy uh, backpacking. Uh, I've got a group of buddies that that try to go backpacking a few times a year. Um, and uh, so I really enjoy anything outdoors. Um, love spending time with my wife. Uh, I know that's kind of a typical thing to say, and she didn't even pay me to say that actually. <laughs> but uh, I really, I really enjoy spending time with my wife and and just doing random activities with her. We have a lot of fun together. You know, they say it's always it's always cool when you get to live life and, and do life with your best friend, and that is that situation for me. Um, Absolutely, truly fortunate and blessed to have. But uh, uh, so really enjoy that. And then other than that, um, I. I mean, I know this sounds like the the typical strength coach answer that everyone wants to hear, but I mean, I love just learning more about this profession, dude. Like, I can't tell you how many hours and and time and and even money I've spent on conference calls and 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 podcasts and books and like I just love it. Like, uh, we had we just finished our dead period um, for all sports, and so we went on. Right. Me and my wife uh, went on a, a couple vacations, and so I just read um, Force by Dan Cleaver, and that book, even though it is extremely in-depth and almost out of my realm of knowledge, um, had to really focus in to get through that one, but just stuff like that, like learning the ins and outs of the little things that we do that are actually big things, you know, like things that really, really matter that we may not think about, like just learning about those things is just, uh, that's huge for me. Like, I, I just really enjoy it just because I'm so passionate about this field. But, but yeah, again, that's a typical strength coach answer, but it is true. I mean, you asked, so. <laughs> I want to ask you this question too, because I kind of felt it as, um, you know, doing this podcast as time goes on with it. Do you feel like, you know, like your relatives, your wife or anything like that, do you feel like they kind of don't care about the strength conditioning side of things? Like you're, you're sitting there like, you know, these kids, they don't need a barbell on their, you know, these freshmen, they don't need a barbell on their back. You know, you're kind of going off about something and, you know, you know, family or relatives or whatever, like, they don't really care, you know. Just, do you ever feel like that sometimes? I do. I do. And it's something that uh, it's something I've grown to accept. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of funny, man. Like, like I'll, I'll go on these rants with my wife sometimes about something that happened in the weight room or something that was a huge success in the weight room today. And she, you know, she wants to support me. So she's always listening and she's always attentive and, and, but she doesn't, you know, she may not understand the ins and outs of what I'm seeing because she's not in my everyday life. Right. Like right. she doesn't, she doesn't see what I see and, and know some of the things that I know, but I think between her and my other family, uh, they've grown to at least learn to listen um, and just yeah. nod their head and say yay or nay on whatever I'm happy or frustrated about. Uh, but dude, I, that reminds me, I, I was in a situation, we just went on a vacation with my in-laws and, and they're awesome, like incredible people, super loving, super caring, um, would do anything for me, right? And they support me in everything I do. And I went on this rant, I don't even know how we got on this subject matter but I ran on this rant my new thing that I've really been invested in here in the past few months has been tendon health right you kind of got a little bit of that with 
with Cody's uh, um, presentation at NatCon, right? Yeah. And so been been really doing a whole lot of research on that. So I was explaining the, to them, breaking down all the tendon health with how it works with ISOs and slow eccentrics and what happens and why our athletes need this and that. And and I was like, it, I probably went for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then it got to the point where I just realized that they were just blank staring at me and just trying their best just to listen to what I was saying and not fall asleep. And I was like, all right, so yeah, where do y'all want to go to eat? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so I totally get that because, you know, even with sport coaches, you know, God bless my head coach because he listens to all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there like, well, these freshmen, they're not going to get on the barbell for the next, like, four or five months and we got to progress and we got to get strong, you know, all this other stuff. And at some point I do believe he told me, he goes, raspberry, I don't care. Like just flat out, just, <laughs> I don't care. And I'm like, yeah, you know, fair, you know, I, not, it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes that, you know, you're so passionate about this and you want, so you want, you know, the best for your athletes and stuff like that. But, you know, to people that really don't look too in depth for it, I mean, mm. They just want to see someone bigger, faster, stronger, and that's right, that's the right. simple, you know, the simplistic answer of that. But you know, to us, right. it's like tendon health, and then we gotta go four inch motion, and mobility, <laughs> yeah. and flexibility, and then we gotta get stronger, yeah. and then see, you know, and then we continue on this little ramble about like eccentrics and isometrics and why they're so good, and yeah. you know, yeah. and you know, sport coaches, and, family, whatever, just saying, uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, and dude, you, it 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 goes the same way with your athletes sometimes too, right? Like oh, yeah. our athletes, every every once in a while, dude, I I've made it a goal of mine not to get real scientific with the athletes and stuff. I do it's want hard. them to know certain terms. Like I want to know that I want them to know what an eccentric and an isometric are and what the differences are. Right? Like I right. want them to know things like that. But on the other hand, there's no points to explain to them certain things, how certain things move, and why they move in certain ways, down to the level of super detailed anatomical details of of this and that like they just want to know that they're getting better because of it right right and every once in a while i've caught myself like i i caught myself not that long ago maybe a couple of weeks ago i caught myself explaining talking to two or three athletes about why we're doing certain things in regards to tendon health like actually just ironically and uh i was explaining how you know the tendons are made up of these collagen matrices. And when you lengthen the tendon and stretch it, the collagen starts to synthesize in the direction that it's pulling and yada, yada, yada. And I, it got to the point where they were just looking at me and they were starting to like look off a little bit and start to look around the room. And I was like, all right. Yeah. So anyway, this is, this is what we're going to do now. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we're, we're doing eccentrics too right now. Uh, freshmen, you know, sophomore varsity, whatever we're doing, we're doing eccentrics. Everyone's doing eccentrics. And, you know, one kid did ask me, it's like, why are we even doing this? I was like, do you want the big answer? Open up the can of worms, right? <laughs> like, do you want the big answer? Or do you want the, the simplistic, the, the short version? Yeah. And they, you know, usually they go for the short answer and it's like, okay, well, boom, 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 done. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, we kind of already talked about why you wanted to go into the field of strength conditioning. So mm. what are you doing to continuously learn about strength conditioning? Because there's yeah. playful things out there. You can learn about tendon health. You can learn about RPR. You can learn about, yeah. 
basically anything at this point, what are you doing to continuously learn about the Philly strength conditioning? Me personally, I find the most value in going and seeing or having a phone call or talking to someone in person. Like I can't, I'm a very visual learner. I'm a very hands-on learner. It is very, very hard for me to sit and look at a book and read something and then take something away from that and then remember it enough the next day to apply it. Like that is so hard for me. Um, Podcasts, I can do it with because I can hear it and I can think about it in my own in my own mind, in my own world, and I can kind of apply it in that way. So podcasts I can do, plus a lot of times, you know, if it's if it's a good podcast, like this one, uh, the sure. host always asks, yeah, there, there's your shout out, dude. <laughs> the, the, the host always asks the right questions that I want to know anyway. So podcasts I can do. Um, so I do, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I have a handful that I listen to almost daily. Um, but then the most valuable thing that I do to further my uh, education, knowledge, and just wherewithal around our field is either um, consultation calls and going and doing site visits. Um, those are by far the two most valuable things that I get the most out of. Um, nothing compares. Nothing compares. So a lot of times... I take the money that I would use for something like a certification because, you know, you know, those certs are expensive. Yep. I take, I take the money I would use for that and shoot, dude, I'll spend that money and drive three or four hours to go to a site visit and spend a day, day and a half with a strength coach. Um, I've already actually at NatCon, um, I talked to Cody. I want to go down to Alabama, which they're only about an hour and a half to two hours away from where I am. Um, but I want to go down to Alabama and, and spend the night there and spend some time with Cody and Brandon and just hang out with them, see how they do their groups, just be there on a daily level. I've already done that one time with him and I got so much value in it that I want to go back and spend more time, you know? So things like that are, are easily the best way for me to learn and continue to grow. Man, I thought Cody's presentation at NatCon was so yeah. insightful. Uh, you know, he brought up things that I'd never even thought about, and I sent her like, and, uh, and you know, Cody and Brandon, they're so smart, man. Like, yeah. I remember at NatCon, and I hope Brandon gets to listen to this part of uh, this episode, but Brandon was sitting on there, we're in the middle of our breakout sessions, and me and Brandon are in the same one. This dude, do you remember the notebook that they give you and that little goodie bag? Yeah. Well, he starts tearing out pages and drawing on them, talking about 10 and health. Just in the middle of, yeah. like, one of them sessions, I'm just sitting there like, man, this dude is so smart. Like, he, like I, I understand strength conditioning. There's a certain level, you know, yeah. everyone's kind of, Brandon is up there. I mean, that dude is dude. so smart. God. I'll, dude, I love that man. Dude, my, my man Brandon Pig is a real one, dude. He, me and him, me and him have, I, I met him in person probably about man it's probably been about six months ago now is when i met him in person i went just like i was telling you about a second ago i went on a site visit down to madison academy when he was still still there with cody and uh just met with him and cody and got to spend a lot of time with them both um both incredible dudes um, oh yeah but uh but me and Brandon, me and Brandon have kind of grown a little bit closer ever since then and especially at natcon we kind of 
we kind of built up a friendship and and dude he he's such an awesome awesome dude man and not only is he an incredible strength coach but he's just an incredible individual dude just such a genuine type of guy and i i have so much respect for that dude so again i hope he's listening to this <laughs> and just like my wife earlier he didn't even pay me to say those things i'm gonna have to start collecting checks Man, I have to start collecting checks if I keep talking about these people like this. Man, I, I tell you, he's a he's one of them stand up guys, man. Like, I I message him. We kind of we chat every now and again. You know, we don't chat like every single day, but I mean, if there's a question that he asks for me or I, or I have for him, mostly I have for him. I mean, I'll ask him. I'll, I'll DM him on Twitter or whatever. And I mean, I had asked him about business advice because. Like he's so smart in strength and conditioning, but he's so smart in that business aspect, you know, aspect of finances and crypto and whatever, you know, investments. I'm like, you know, I kind of go over. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, you know, I I got you, man. <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah, he's he's incredible, man. Uh, uh, Natcom was the first time I ever met him. Met Cody. Met you know, ninety percent of my connections on Twitter. So yeah, uh, man, I love yeah. Natcom. That was so much fun. Dude, that conference was so well put together, man. That was my first conference as well. The past two or three years where I've planned on going, uh, we've always had a vacation at the exact same time. Like, always. It never fails. And so this year I was so excited that it was actually on a date when we'll be in town. And not only that, it was, you know, right down the street. Right basically. in your backyard. Uh, yeah, dude. So that I can't say enough about the NHSSCA and what they did at that con and what they continue to do that organization in general they're they're awesome uh, no i i joined it last year right after their natcon i think it was in uh minneapolis i can't remember i can't remember mm-hmm. when um two years yeah. ago actually or yeah, yeah last year i joined the day after um they had that conference there and i told myself i'm going to the one in nashville so i don't care what it takes i'm going to the one in nashville and yeah. um and they're awesome, man. I mean, I got to meet several different people and, you know, uh, you know, because like all yeah. these big names, all these guys that you saw on Twitter are now just there. And right. yeah, it's, right. it's awesome. Fan I can't wait a little bit. <laughs> Fanboying a little bit. It, it, I hate. Yeah. Yeah. That was. No, dude, I get it. Listen, I'm not, I'm not knocking you. This is, that was me too, man. That was mm-hmm. me too with a lot of those guys. I mean, they're, it was legit. It was, it was very legit. legit. It was very well organized. And that's one thing I kind of, you know, uh, I, I had to do with me. He's from Selmer, Tennessee. He has a private practice. And, um, you know, he went with me uh, down there. And we kind of chatted about it and whatnot. He's a big NSPA guy. Um, mm-hmm. And he said that was probably the most well-organized event he's ever seen. From the That's side awesome. of strength conditioning, that, the thing that blew me away about that conference was they fed you all the yeah. time. Good food too. It was good food too. It wasn't like cheap. Like here's pizza, grab a slice, whatever. It was like good, yeah. good food all around. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. So yeah, no, for sure that that conference is great, and our our directors, our state directors, and and beyond go above and beyond with stuff like that man like oh, yeah. i know for for tennessee specifically our state director kylie feldman over at father ryan i don't know did you get a chance to meet her oh, have yeah. you met her yet oh yeah oh dude i i love her so much like i she's another one that i've gone and visited and spent the day with and just watched her work 
and she's so professional and does things at such a high level there. I, she is awesome. She is awesome. One of my favorite people in this field by far. So I can't wait till their certification drops. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I can't. Their wait. cert. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. I will get that one hands down. <laughs> I think. I think most people will once it drops. But I can't yeah. wait for it to drop, man. I think it's gonna be good. I think it's gonna be good quality. I think it kind of it will. I think it will kind of level out the playing field, especially at the high school level, because we got the CSCS, the CFSC, yeah, and yeah. what else we got? SCCC or SCCC? Oh, yeah. I mean, we got. I'm telling you, man, there's so many. There's so many USW. I mean, like, I think that'll kind of even out the playing field. Say, okay, well, you're in the high school realm. Yeah. Here's a bare minimum. For sure. For sure. I agree. Okay, so what drives your program design? Program design. Okay, so with that question specifically, when you say program design, are you talking about like the the nuts and bolts of the program, the exercises, the the things like that? Or are you talking more like on a standard level? Uh, the nuts and bolts. Okay, so I have a I have a. It, my program design is kind of specific to teams, but not really specific to teams. And it's also, I like to be fluid with how I change things and add variability. So what I do right now may not be what I do in six months to an extent, right? I do have my foundational stuff, my developmental stuff, my, my base level stuff that I will always do uh, unless someone convinces me I need to do something else otherwise, which is, you know, always possible, right? But the way I do it, is I'm a big proponent of strength and length, right? Big range of motion guy, okay? I hate, I hate, I hate the dynamic that a lot of our kids get from other coaches and stuff of, well, if you don't squat 500 pounds, it doesn't matter, right? You got to squat heavy, 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 you know? I could care less, dude. I, I would rather have the 300-pound squatter who can move it extremely well in full range of motion, awesome dorsiflexion of the ankle and all this stuff. Like I, I would rather have that over the 500 pound squatter who looks really clunky and can barely move on the field any day of the week, yep. any freaking day of the week, yep. you know? And so I'm a big strength and link type of guy. And a lot of my program is geared towards that, um, especially at our younger levels. Like our, um, I work from seventh, grade through 12th grade so that middle school up into that freshman range we do a ton of eccentrics ton of eccentrics like all of our freshmen right now do nothing but eccentrics basically um foundational movements so i'll put them in like a split squat and we'll just do eccentrics dumbbells goblet loaded split squats um things like that goblet squats uh put them through every single range of motion i'm all about getting all planes of motion right um and so when it comes to that developmental stage, uh, program specifically to hit every single plane of motion every day, um, make sure we use strength and length with the eccentrics to enhance the ability to be in that position and be stronger in that position so we can later um, output force very well in those positions, right? Especially on that frontal plane, which in my opinion is one of the planes that gets uh, overlooked the most in yeah. our field um, and is arguably in Again, my opinion, one of the most important, if not the most important plane in our field, um, especially depending on the sport you play. Uh, and uh, then other than that, just foundational movements, especially for the upper body, right? Just very foundational movements. I'm a big unilateral guy. 
um, love unilateral upper and lower. Um, I do something unilateral upper and lower every single day from seventh grade up to seniors. They're doing something unilateral every single day upper and lower. Now, I don't go full on Mike Boyle with it um, and <laughs> and go super, super strict, nothing but unilateral, which I understand he, does, he doesn't do nothing but unilateral, but you know what I mean. Right. Um, which that's not a knock on Mike Boyle. I've read his book and it is incredible. And I learned a yeah. lot from him, but, uh, but you know what I'm saying? Right. I, I do my bilateral movements with the sole purpose of being strength-based movements, right? All my bilateral movements are nothing but to gain base level foundational strength. And then every single thing else we do is to gain athletic performance ability, right? Which in my opinion, is almost strictly unilateral. Um, so uh, I'm a big unilateral guy. Um, and when it comes to the breakdown of my programming, dude, it's, I don't try to get cute with it. You know, like I do things that in my experience have worked really well for me. And those things just happen to be things that work really well for a lot of other people, you know? So like the way I do it is we do our speed work, some some aspect of a speed work change of direction and plyometric every single day after our warm-up so we spend the first 25 minutes of every group um this is in school summer's a little bit different because the groups are a little bit weird the time schedule is a little bit weirder but in school we'll spend the first 25 minutes warming up doing a speed component a plyometric component and typically a change of direction component or a vertical or horizontal force output component and then we'll go into the next 25 to 35 minutes worth of a lift and i'm just a typical four tier lift type of guy um utilize supersets on two to four of the tiers and have move fast to slow you know if i've got a power based movement in there like i i do um do olympic lifts um nothing but cleans and hang cleans i'm i don't jerk or snatch um but if I do have a clean or a hang clean involved that day, I'll do that first, do our main strength movement of the day and do our accessory work and usually end um, on some type of core stabilization, anti-rotation or rotational movement. Um, so it's not something that um, it's like it's not some blockbuster thing that I'm going to shock the strength world with. Right. It's just stuff that I know works because you got to remember we're working with anywhere from 13 to 18 year olds. Right. We have the easiest job on the planet if we think our sole purpose is just to get them stronger, right? Right. I, I just want to do the foundational things that will make them learn their body, learn how to move. So when they go out onto a field, the court, whenever they play, they'll actually be able to apply it in the sense that will be unthinkable to them, right? They don't have to think about it just to apply it. And that's what I try to do in the weight room. So it's pretty simple. That's awesome. So I got to ask, are you a conjugate guy? Yeah. Are you a linear uh, periodization guy like where are you yeah uh i never like to refer to myself as one or the other i do love conjugate um i think especially for our more advanced guys uh yeah conjugate is is awesome um yeah so in general i guess you could say i'm kind of a hybrid conjugate guy i i truly feel like in high school um depending on our schedule and our game schedules and things like that um you almost always have to be somewhat undulated in your programming yeah. um but i do kind of think in a 
hybrid conjugate sense in the sense of if I have a team in there four days a week, it's almost guaranteed that I'm going to separate our programming on a daily level in some sort of max effort, dynamic effort split. Um, now, I say it's a hybrid conjugate because I, I don't do straight West Side stuff with them, right? <laughs> like, we don't, I don't think our guys have or girls have the, the capacity yet to be able to handle stuff like, like chained bench press and, and things like that. Um, but on the flip side, though, I do order the intensity, speed, and time under tension based off that max effort, dynamic effort type mindset, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense, man. I got to ask that question because, one, you know, I kind of am a little bit of it. I'm starting to get into that conjugate side of things. You know, yeah. off-season-wise, I've always been a linear periodization guy, you know, must step it up 5%, whatever, every week, and then drop, deload, da, 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 you know, whatnot. And I don't know. I'm starting to like conjugate stuff. And uh, the more I read yeah. into it, the more I'm like, man, you know, that's that's a good idea. Um, yeah. yeah. What are your non-negotiables in your program? That's a good one. I like that question. Okay. So I kind of already touched on it, but unilateral is going to be the main one. Um, I think. In my opinion, and I think we're kind of, as a street coach culture, kind of starting to all have the same general mindset. If you're not doing unilateral movements at this point, what are you doing? You know, like, you got to hop on that train, you know? Like, you, if you look at sport in general, there's so much time spent. I don't care what sport it is. Like, from team sport to even some individual sports, 95% of your sports – the majority of time your athletes are going to spend when they're playing their sport is going to be in some type of gait stance, right? Like, so we focus a ton on split squats, a variation of lunge, forward, reverse, um, side, right? And uh, then a lot of rear foot elevated, front foot elevated split squats. We do a lot of split squat and lunge variations, Um always um so that would definitely be the top non-negotiable um the other non-negotiable in my opinion would be um the speed work the speed work and when i say speed work i kind of combine all my all my speed plyos change of direction work kind of in into one right but uh that's also another non-negotiable probably just as important if not in some cases more important than you know the unilateral aspect of right because I'm guilty of this as well. Um, the weight room and everything that happens inside that squat rack is kind of my bread and butter, right? That's my comfort zone. I know how to coach that extremely well at an extremely high level, and I pride myself in that because I've done it myself for so many years. I, I feel like you're probably the same way, right? Most are, yeah. And so, yeah. And so, like, it's, it was hard for me when I first got into this field and really started coaching and started owning athletes and teams in in my programming, it was hard for me to get out of the mindset of that can't be my sole focus, right? These are athletes. They're not weightlifters. They have to do athletic things in order to improve their game, right? The weight room and the things that happens inside that squat rack or with those dumbbells in your hands have to supplement what they do on the field or on the quarter on the diamond, right? They're only supplements to that. And so 
with that being said, like the speed work, my mindset, my mindset has kind of shifted. And if high school happens, like it always does, and our schedule gets changed at the very last second, and we have to alter something at the very last second, and I have to choose between cutting out our lift or cutting out our speed work, nine times out of 10, depending on what the situation is, I'm going to cut out the lift. I got to. I got to, I feel like it would be unfair to the athletes, even if they would rather lift. I feel like it would be unfair to them because I know in my head that that speed work, that change of direction, that agility, and that plyometric aspect of things is really what's going to make them the better athlete in their sport. And the weights are just going to supplement the things that they do to improve themselves in those athletic aspects. So those are the two main ones, unilateral and all my speed, agility, change of direction type stuff. That's interesting that you give that perspective of cutting the lift rather than cutting your speed work because, you know, and I would be guilty of this too, and I'm pretty sure any strength coach would be guilty of this. I mean, we value the weight room so much that we oftentimes forget that these are not bodybuilders, they're not power lifters, they're not, they're athletes. I mean, they're football yeah. players, they're basketball players, they're soccer players. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not bodybuilders, they're not power lifters. And it's more important for them to be athletic than it is to be ridiculously strong. For sure. For that, sure. That's a hard and pill to swallow. <laughs> it is. It is. And the the even worse thing is, I'd say a lot of your athletes, they'd rather lift than do all the speed work right? They would rather that. They'd rather do that because they like the lift. And that's great that they like the lift. And I never want to bring any value down from the weight room because obviously I wouldn't be in this field if I didn't think the weight room was one of the most valuable things they could be. Right. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to seem like that, but on the other sense, you know, like what are we doing if we're getting our athletes stronger, but we're not teaching them how to apply that strength, which translates into force, which translates into power, which translates into putting inputting that power into a lateral movement to create separation between them and a, a defender, you know, like what, what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? And so, yeah, I mean, like, it, you know, and it, you have to look at your, your strength thresholds too, right? Like strength as in raw strength can be attained. Like if I'm a, if I'm a 405 squatter, 405 pound squatter, right? and I don't squat for two weeks and I come back, probably still going to be able to squat four or five, right? That threshold for maintaining that strength level is going to be about 30 days, or at least that's what the books and the research tells us, right? But you look at it from a speed standpoint, I mean, some of these lower level athletes that maybe aren't super, super high quality, right? Like they're still learning things, still figuring things out they can lose and start regressing on their speed work and their speed ability and the ability to put force into the ground and that high intensity level, even your high level athletes, you can start to lose and regress on your speed ability in seven days. And so that's why I'm always going to choose speed work, man, because if you can squat 405, that's awesome. I don't see you on a football field with a 405 pound lineman on your back squatting up and down, you know? But I do see you having to accelerate 10 yards on a pull guard, having to accelerate 10 yards and get a down block. You know, like I see those things, right? Not saying that the squat doesn't help you because it 100% does. I'm a full proponent of that, but you got to be fast. You got to get there. You got to get there. And we've seen those athletes in the weight room that, you know, they can throw up a 315 pound bench, they can squat five, 600 pounds, 
put them on the football mm-hmm. field, and they suck. I mean, let's just put it out there. They suck. And, yeah. you know, we're like, well, you got this, you know, we think we got, you got so much potential because you're, you know, you're a great weight room guy, but you're not an athlete. You know, you're, yeah. you're a great, you're a great lifter, but you're not athletic. So that, that's huge. I, that's a really interesting point. I, I'm glad that you said that because that is something that I think more, not just strength coaches, but sport coaches need to listen to because some, and I, I know sport coaches will idolize the weight room. We got to get in the weight room. We got to get big. We got to get strong. And that's fine. You can yeah. be big and strong all you want to. But once you start losing speed, once you start losing athleticism, once you start, you know, your cuts are a little bit more um, regressed a little bit. Yeah, that's that's an issue. And that's something that needs to be, yeah. you know, addressed. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things, too, you know, like you're talking about the sport coaches who idolize the weight room. On the flip side of that, too, I'd much rather have a sport coach idolizes the weight room actually wants their team in there than one that doesn't care about any of it you know true, like true. I, i've i've dealt with some coaches that that just don't care right and i haven't dealt with that at good pasture good pasture has awesome coaches and i'd say pretty much all of them have bought into what we do there and you know of course some of them care more about it than others and that's perfectly fine but just the fact that they make their kids and their athletes get in there just to be in there with me whether they care about it or not is enough for me right but i have dealt with some in the past who could care less about the weight room almost to the extent that where think they think the weight room is more harmful and i'm just like well then you just haven't had a good experience with the weight room then like right. like you haven't had a guy or a girl that knows what they're doing because for you to say the weight room's harmful in 2022 that's wild to me like that's wild to me so yeah absolutely and piggybacking off of that i mean like we do work in the most dangerous room on campus we do the weight room is very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing it can be very dangerous and that's just more of a reason to have someone that's i should say qualified to be in the room with you know these athletes for one so they don't hurt themselves you know 14 15 year olds especially boys and i've heard this from mike boy himself he said that you know, uh, high school boys are like Murphy's Law. If anything could go wrong, it will go wrong. And, <laughs> I mean, it's true because if you leave a 15-year-old boy in the weight room by himself with, and he thinks he can do 315 on bench press when he can't, I mean, could hurt himself. And, you know, yeah. and boys do. I, I pick on boys because I work with a football team and – I mean, you've seen it before. They do stupid stuff all the time, all the time. I mean, if you're not there to tell them no, I mean, who is? So. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. I kind of switched up this question here. I used to ask how you develop mental toughness, but I want to kind of switch up this question. What is mental toughness to you? So mental toughness to me somewhat corresponds actually not somewhat it truly corresponds with your buy-in to the program and that comes from a coaching and an athlete standpoint right again it goes back to standards right i set standards in my weight room our head coaches that set standards as a program as a whole and it's the buy-in that we as coaches have for those standards 
and we and athletes have for those standards because here's the thing you know we it's kind of a joke in the strength conditioning world now especially on twitter i love i love all the stuff on twitter about how you know we want to build mental toughness well let's run 17 more 300 yard gassers and and we're gonna get there we're on our way you know like i i love all that stuff it's it's hilarious to me it's sad it's it is sad because it is true but it's it's funny right so for me the wrong answer the wrong answer is that right I hate that we as a world, as a society, uh, you know, I can't speak for outside of this country, but I feel like we as a country with our lack of knowledge of this field and how, you know, energy systems work and what this stuff is actually doing to our athletes, the unnecessary, ungodly amount of running and things like this. I I hate that we kind of associated that with, for whatever reason, mental toughness. It makes it hard on our field, right? Because a lot of these old head coaches are like, it's one of those, well, back in my day, we did this and we won state. Well, I can guarantee it wasn't because of that, right? Like I was talking about earlier, if I said for my athletes and I don't meet that standard or, or I make exceptions for them in that standard, which full ownership I have done before and I have an issue with, right? Because I, I'm a guilty Sometimes I get to be a little bit tenderhearted, which you should with your athletes yeah. to an extent, right? But sometimes I'm too tenderhearted or I'm on a time crunch and I need to just go, go, go. And so sometimes these athletes won't meet the standards. And I'm just like, I just, let's just go. Let's just go, right? We got stuff to do. You know, I can't, I can't deal with this right now. We got stuff to do. And I just kind of almost let it slide, right? Well, that's not building their mental toughness. Because mental toughness to me is the drive to get to a goal. That is doing what you can and doing what you are told and what you know you're supposed to do to reach a certain goal. Small goal, big goal, doesn't matter as long as you got the drive to do it, right? Well, how are you going to have any type of drive if you don't have a standard that you're meeting yourself and also you're expecting your athletes and pushing your athletes to reach, right? Because if they don't see you reaching it, they're never even going to attempt to reach it. It's a lost cause, right? So if you make exceptions and make exceptions for yourself, your mental toughness for yourself and your mental toughness for your athletes is going to decrease, right? So again, mental toughness to me is the drive to reach a goal. And that's made by setting a standard, relaying the standard in a way that everyone understands and everyone's on the same page and owning that standard and even pushing past that standard and making a new one that's even bigger, you know? So that's mental toughness to me. It's all about the standard and how you reach it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I love asking that question. I love asking questions about mental toughness, man. And, you know, and, uh, you know, we've had coaches and we've seen coaches that, you know, they want to run poles and they want to run gassers to the cow comes home and all that good stuff. And, you know, they really think that they're building, you know, mental toughness. And I'm like, are you really building mental toughness? And I love that point that you made about, you know, older coaches, sport coaches in particular, you know, that's how they did it back in the 90s and the 80s. And, you know, they we won state that year because we did this. It's like, well, did you really win state because you did, you know, 30 gassers at the end of practice every single day and people were puking? Or did you have freak athletes that year and – they were just so talented that they brought you up to that level.
it's correlation does not always equal causation and they have to own it somehow though right it doesn't sound as good to say well we had some freak athletes that year and so honestly even if you didn't really coach them that much they're still probably gonna win some football games you know like it, that doesn't sound as good right and that's fine but yeah sometimes that mental that mental uh toughness aspect of it of thinking they're only going to gain it until you push them until they're just buried into the dirt puking their guts up right you can't blame them too much just because that's what they went through and that's all they know you right. know and so i do understand the perspective but that doesn't mean you have to live and die by it because just because it's your perspective doesn't mean that it's always right you know? right absolutely um Here's a couple of new questions that I kind of was thinking about, sitting around thinking about. I just wanted to see if anyone, because uh, I put polls on Twitter just because I want to see, I want to get feedback. You know, I just don't want anything just come from my mind and, you know, just produce it that way. You know, I like Twitter because I can get some information. I can get some feedback pretty quickly. Um, people want to know more about, like, training methods and stuff that we're doing, like, preseason and going into in season and that sort of thing. So this question here has, as fall athletes are beginning to enter their competition season, what are you doing to ensure athletes are getting what they need for strength and conditioning wise? Mm. Okay. So with that question in particular, it's gonna be dependent a lot on the team and what they're doing during the summer. Okay. So obviously when you look at fall sports, um, football's gonna be the big one, right? So let's just use football as the example, right? When we get closer, now the beginning of summer looks a little bit different than the end of summer, okay? But when we get closer to that first game, um, for us, it's August 19th, I believe. So when we get closer to that time period, as practice starts to ramp up, as we start putting pads on and going full contact for a couple hours a day, right? I, I almost transition our programming into an in-season type mindset. So when it comes to fall sports and getting ready for fall sports, my focus is less on, okay, let's see how hard I can push them in a safe and controlled environment and more of what's the minimum effective dose I can give them in order for them to get what I want them to get while also still remaining healthy and fresh to go out on the practice field and do their thing. But, uh, but yeah, so that would, that would be the main thing um, that we definitely do at Good Pasture when it comes to preparation for our uh, upcoming seasons that gets closer to time, like from going into a fall sport from the summer, is you have to be in contact with your head coaches and know exactly what type of intensity they're getting in practice so you can program accordingly. And like I said, almost treat when we get to that real close preseason time, treat it like a, like an in-season programming and give them a minimum effective dose on the strength, the accessories, the power, the, the plyos, give them a minimum effective dose. And if they're getting, I'm going to be real with you, dude. When we get to this point where we're at now, where it's a month away from the season, in their practice, they get all kinds of change of direction, like all kinds of it. Like the way our head coach structures practice, especially our skill guys, right? But not just them, everyone on that football field, it's all kinds of lateral movement and whatnot. So we don't even touch it. Like we don't even touch it anymore, right? Yep. It's just knowing those things, giving them minimum effective dose so they can perform on the practice field because that's what you've got to realize as you get closer and closer to the time for your sport to begin is the weight room priority starts to go from up here to down here and their sport completely takes over. 
So in the weight room, yes, it is very important that you train in or you train in season and off season year round. I'm a full proponent of that for sure. But when you're in season, you get to that point where you're about to have your first game. Your main priority here is to keep them healthy and keep them feeling good so they can perform at their best. Now they have to improve on the things they do in the weight room, which is why I say minimum effective dose. I use a lot of Pat Basil's methods for that, you know, where we have a, let's just say in an off season type situation, we may have uh, for front squat, five sets of three at 80 to 85% right that may be that may be like an off-season type exercise well i still want to front squat i want to front squat heavy in season i'm not going to lose the strength we built from that right but that five sets of three at 80 85 percent may turn into a three sets of one to two at 80 to 85 percent right they're still getting strong from that they're still going to go up on their numbers from that right but it's minimum effective dose and they're not going to be sore from it because soreness comes from time under the barbell not the amount of weight you lift Right. As long as you're lifting well. <laughs> right. And I've, uh, I think that sport coaches are afraid that, you know, we've really busted out this offseason and we've got them really strong. And, you know, I don't want them to lose any of their strength that they gained throughout the entire offseason. And I love your kind of little quote there of minimum uh, dosage, you know, effective dose. Yes. Yeah. Minimum effective dose. I, that's huge, man. Like, I think that's something that I, I I pick on sport coaches because, one, it's easy. <laughs> you can put you can pick on a sport coach any day of the week, okay? Um, but like, honestly, sport coaches are there to coach the sport. You know, they're not yeah. unless you're like a weight room guy or and I hate saying weight room guy. You know, if you're a strength condition specialist or someone that's done the education for that, I mean, really, sport coaches are there to coach the sport. You're there to coach football, basketball, soccer. Why not? Yeah. And we're running this in you know public schools, you know private schools. They got them strength and conditioning coaches, you know, full, full time. You know, they're all time whatever. I mean, public school, and I work at a public school where you know I coach offensive line, and I'm the strength guy over there. And you know, um, getting sport coaches to understand that it's a minimum dosage, but more mm. of a maximum effort kind of thing like yeah we're gonna go three sets of two you know that's six reps you know but how is that bar moving is it moving fast how much weight's gonna be on there so like that i mean that's such that's such an important component of in-season lifting you know if you want to your athletes to keep getting stronger and keep what they gain all season well yeah you're gonna keep lifting but they're gonna have a make they're gonna have to make a maximum effort with that minimum dosage yeah six reps or two reps whatever that's fine, but how are they moving the bar? Are they really giving yeah. everything they can into those lifts? Because, I mean, you can bust out three reps pretty easily, but is the bar speed there? Is it, is it, are they giving maximum effort? So I, I like that point. I loved it. I, I wanted to highlight it. Yeah, no, and I try to stress that to our guys a lot. Um, you know, especially when it comes to speed work, I, you know, you, you and I both know, like, when it comes to let's just let's just say max velo speed work, you know, so you're looking at long distance sprinting, okay? Well, in my opinion, like like for example, on our top speed days, we do we do more than this, but when it comes to our max velo sprinting, we'll do 
on average two forties and then we'll do some zone running where I'll give them like a, maybe a 15 yard zone and we'll do maybe three reps there. So that's five reps. That's five reps of truly hitting max velocity, right? But that's all they need if they're doing it right. You know, that's all they need. And if you give them a lot more than that, then they start to regress, right? Because yep. of the, the high taxation of the CNS that that stuff brings upon them, right? So that's why I have to get my athletes to understand as well as the sport coaches too. Because like you said, sport coaches' jobs is the coach of sport. It's not their job to know why we do the things we do in here. Now, right. should you let them know 100%? You got to, right? But it's not their job to run it. It's your job, right? So I can never, I can never get onto a sport coach for for not knowing or not understanding something, I never will. As long, like I said before, as long as they want them in the weight room, let me take it. Let me take it. I'll explain to you why we do it. I'll explain to you why I believe it's helping our athletes and the way it's helping them. I'll explain to you all the in-depth stuff you want to know. But you have to do the same thing to your athletes because sometimes my athletes get max velo day mixed up with conditioning, right? They see long-distance sprinting, you know, 40 to 60 yards, whatever it may be, right? They think, oh, that's so long. It's basically conditioning, right? right? It's not that. It's not that. Minimum effective dose, right? I still need you to be fresh, right? We still got to lift. We still got to practice. I need you to be fresh, but I also need you to get faster. And I need your body to experience what it's the intensification of max velocity. I need you. I need you to understand what that feels like to not only enhance your speed, but also to enhance your injury prevention ability, right? So right. it's just explaining those things. And that's something that we'll always have to do. And and you got to own it. You just got to own your programming, man. Yep, absolutely. And kind of tying in with some programming stuff, what do you think is the best training methods for athletes that play multiple sports? Because this is something we see in high school all the time. You know, three sport, two, you know, two sport. Even I got a couple of guys that are four sport athletes. You know, they do, you know. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they'll do baseball and they'll do track or they'll do, uh, you know, wrestling and, you know, something else. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, yeah. how do you handle – what is the best training method for multi-sport athletes? Yeah, and that's a, a extremely maybe the most common issue that we as high school strength coaches have to face. Right. Especially if you're at smaller schools, like I know Good Pasture is a relatively small school. We almost have, I'd say, if I had to guess, 80% to 85% of our athletes are multi-sport, right? They're all combo guys and girls. Most of them play two, some of them play three, right? Um, And it's just knowing, again, that goes back to knowing and having a relationship with those coaches, knowing what they do in practice and what they do in games, knowing the schedule can't stress that that enough you have to know their schedule down to the game down to the week down to the month what they're doing and when they're doing it right because if i've got got sally who is a volleyball player in fall and then a softball player in the spring okay i have to know exactly how long her volleyball season lasts I have to know exactly when those games are because there's going to be sometimes, especially volleyball, you know, volleyball and softball, both. Those are two sports that play a ton of games, two, three, especially softball, sometimes four or five games a week. Right. And so if I see them on a Tuesday and a Thursday, okay. And Sally has a volleyball game on a Friday and a Wednesday. 
okay? Well, now I've got a volleyball game between sessions, okay? So now I'm looking at, again, minimum effective dose. What can I do that's going to improve Sally on all her things, all her attributes that I want to improve her on while not making her sore on the flip side, okay? In her off season, which is going to be very minimal, right? It's going to be, you might get a month, month and a half of her off season. We're pushing, right? We are right. pushing, okay? I, I'm going to take advantage only to the extent that does not burn her out, okay? That is huge. That is huge because if they only have a month and a half of off season for the entire year, should they spend that time in the weight room? 100%, okay? But how are they going to feel if you if they spend two and two hours, an hour and a half in that weight room three to four days a week and you just destroy them, okay? You have to know what pushing really means. I mean push in the sense of, okay, well, you know, you've been in season and our volume has been way down. You've been getting better, but our volume's been way down. Now you have a month and a half. I'm going to give you a week to kind of acclimate, kind of maybe lower the weight a little bit, add a little bit of volume in there. You're probably going to be a little bit sore, okay? Give you a week to acclimate. And then we're going to go through a four-week block before your next season in a month. And we're going to go through a four-week just straight strength block, get our strength up if that's what needs to get up, get our speed up if that's what needs to get up, know the athlete, know the athlete and what they need in that offseason to better prepare them for the sport that they have coming up and program accordingly. Again, it ain't, it ain't super cute. It ain't super fancy. There's nothing that crazy about it. I probably gave you the answer that I feel like everyone would probably give, right? But that's just how it works. You know, right. if you've got a month and a half of time that's in their off season, you've got to deal with that month and a half of the time in the best possible way. So you've got to push them, but not over push them to where they one get buried for their next sport or two hate the weight room so much that next off season, when you have another month and a half window, they don't even want to be there, you know? Yeah. And I love that last point because it just goes right into our next question. How do you manage athletes that do not enjoy the weight room? And you're always going to have them. Right. You're yep. always going to have them. And so here's the thing about that. You are far more likely to have athletes that do not like the weight room and just dread being in there, no matter how well your coaching is and how much they actually do enjoy it when they actually get in there. If they have a head strength or if they have a head coach or assistant coaches that hate the weight room and actively show them that they hate the weight. Room. Right. So I think that's one big thing. The head coach has to be on the same board as you. OK, even if the head coach thinks that what you do in the weight room isn't as significant as what you think you do. OK, you have to at least got to get on the same level with the head coaches and say, all right, look, whether you care a whole, whole lot about it or not, you got to at least have to help me out and stress the importance to it to your athletes so they can know. And so they when they get in there, they don't dread being in there. Right. So I think a lot of it does. Uh, fall on the head coaches as well. But now from our standpoint, um, I think a lot of that is solved with the results that they see. That's why I'm always a big proponent of having proper tests and evaluation processes, right? Because if an athlete sees their vertical go from 21 inches to 25 inches in a matter of two months, okay, they'll gradually, even if they hate the things they do, as long as there's a little bit of competitor, a little bit of dog in them, right? They're gradually going to at least want to be in there because they know it yields results, right? 
So it's almost a thing that with the results you've given them, you have to get to the point where if they hate it, they love to hate it. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, now that's not to say that you'll just have some athletes that just absolutely hate every aspect of it. They could care less about the results they see. But in all honesty, if you have an athlete like that, they don't really care that much about their sport anyway. And they're probably just doing it as a hobby. And with those athletes, just do what we, what you can with them. You know, in all honesty, with those athletes, I just give them the workout, show them how to do it. It's tell them what I expect out of them and then leave it up to them. You know, Um, I always tell our athletes, I give you a prescription. Okay. I'm just like a doctor. I give you a prescription. The prescription is the exercises, the sets, the reps, me showing you how to do it, me telling you exactly how I want want it to be, me letting you, me coaching you on how to do it. That's the prescription, right? It is 100% up to you if you do exactly what I tell you in the way I want you to do it, right? So you're going to have athletes that just are never going to take it and you just have to accept it. Yeah, yep. Kind of ran into it. A little bit. Uh, last couple of schools I've been at, you know, and you know it's hard not to really push. You know, well, we got a barbell bench, we got a deadlift, and, you know, all our stuff on athletes. Yeah. You know, and there's some kids that really don't care, man. I mean, they're there just uh, either hang out with their friends or play the sport. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially high school round, college is a little bit different. You know, you kind of know what you sure. got yourself into, but especially the high school level and middle school. I mean, they're just there to hang out, either hang out with friends or play a sport. You know, they didn't ask for, you know, to love the weight room. And, you know, we shouldn't force them to love what we love. But at the same time, you know, there is a certain priority that, you know, what we do, it needs to matter to them. You know, know, if it doesn't matter to them, then it'll show. And, I mean, like you said, you know, you can just give them the workout and – you know, what they do with that is totally up to them. But, right. but right. yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think, I think as long as you never show those athletes that never, ever want to buy in out of choice, I think as long as you don't show those athletes that you've stopped caring or you've stopped trying to help them, then it's, again, it's a decision that they make. Right. Right. But again, it's our responsibility to always let them know if they decide to flip that personality around real quick one day and they decide that they want to buy in, we have to be ready with open arms. Right. And they have to know that because the chances of that happening are zero if they know that you've given up on them. Right. Absolutely. Uh, We got about one, two, three, four, five, six questions left. These are a little bit more personable. Kind of switch up to a little bit of questions, and um, I really want to hear your answers on this one, especially being a younger, you know, so a younger one in this profession. Uh, this one is: What advice would you give a young student or athlete that wants to go into strength and conditioning or sport performance? Yeah, uh, I would say go ahead and start connecting now. Um, no matter how old you are, whether you're a freshman in college, whether you're a senior in college about to graduate, um, whether you're still in high school, let strength coaches know 
that you want to also be a strength coach. Find a mentor, be a mentor. Um, I love that. I love, I heard a quote, someone say that one time and I wish I could remember who said it and I can't remember, but find a mentor, be a mentor, find someone that you can look up to and you can have contact with, um, that you idolize in this field. Right. Um, but also find someone that you may be able to take under your wing a little bit and return the favor, but find a mentor and connect. There's one thing I can guarantee about this field is that nine times out of 10, if you reach out to a coach, as long as they see the DM or the message or the email or whatever, as long as they see it, nine times out of 10, they'll respond, right? Oh, yeah. Our field is awesome. Our field is awesome about being welcoming people with open arms if they have questions or want to come visit a site or want to come see what they do or anything like that or set up a consult call, something like that. Now, always be willing to pay, right? That's another big thing that I've learned. If, you, if someone is willing to give you their time, always be willing to pay them, right? If, you, if you, you can't, the last thing that you need to do as a young strength coach is DM someone and be like, hey, coach, I have a lot of questions about this. Is there any way we could set up a phone call for an hour so I can ask you this stuff and learn? Even if they don't, it's some perfectly fine if they're like yeah absolutely that's no problem at all and they're most of them will be awesome about that but always at least offer gotcha gotcha i had never heard anyone pay someone for their time well i mean like and like going somewhere and you know i had a question you know a lot of questions you know do you mind if i ask you what i had never heard that before that that's a really interesting point you know if if you have a strength coach that you want to go visit, all right, nine times out of 10, they're going to say, yeah, sure. Come on down. Come watch what we do. Ask the questions that you want. All right. One, be prepared, bring a notebook. Okay. Have questions already ready for them. Okay. And then two, at least offer to buy them lunch, you know, little things like that. It's just like everyday life, right? A simple wave and a hello. How are you today is going to go a long way with anyone. Strength coaches, if they offer, if you ask them to come into their facility and watch what they do and they say yes to that and hope you be willing to give them something in turn, even if it's a sandwich, you know, <laughs> like make sure to repay, pay back what you, what you get from them because they'll remember you that way. Right. right. So, right. And this is a little bit different route that I went, you know, for that topic there. Um, the people that I've asked to come on this conjugate chats were the people that either helped me along the way or like just valuable resources like um, Aaron Abraham. I don't know if you know who he is or anything like that, but I mean, that's through Twitter, but yeah, I mean, that dude sent me CSS prep stuff. That dude sent me like everything. He, he's continuously just helped. So I had to get him on here and there's a couple more on here that, um, you know, I just asked because, you know, they made, they were telling me, you know, they were helping me along the way. And, you know, I felt like it would be a disservice if I didn't, you know, bring them on here to share the story, to yeah. share the road to strength conditioning, to, you know, just knowing them as people, not even just as strength coaches anymore. You know, you know, paying it forward. That's, that's, that's a huge thing. And I think, yeah, for young strength coaches, for people that want to get to pay it forward. Once you got it, pay it forward. 100%. And, you know, coach, I, I think what you're doing with this podcast is awesome, man. Like 
just being able to get strength coaches out there and like you said knowing them as a person not just as a coach and but still getting the coaching side of it too like what you're doing here man is is awesome and I think you really are paying it forward I, I think this is great I appreciate it, man and then, you know I had George on there and I felt like I I did George such a disservice because I did not record his audio you know his zoom meeting with me and you know, I think we're we're meeting up this Saturday to basically redo his uh, interview. But like, he shared so much content on Twitter, free content. You know, that yeah. dude is so freaking smart. Yeah, like he. Oh, dude, he's he's going to be monumental in this field, dude. If he's not already, I mean, I can't say enough about that guy. I don't know him personally. I've never met him personally. I've only interacted on with him on Twitter a little bit, but. Dude, he is, he's incredible, man. That, I can't say enough about that. That dude, dude is, he is legit. Like, he is so intelligent. He's one of those dudes that's, like, freakishly, like, just jacked out of his mind. Like, he, yeah. like, he did, like, I can't remember. He did, like, a split squat, you know, a front split squat, whatever, with, like, 400 pounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was just like. Jesus, man. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, he was just well, so. Then he did, he did, like, a, yeah. He did like a 185-pound Zercher skater squat or something yes. one day. Like, just something stupid, dude. Like, I mean, this, dude, this dude's on a different level. He is on a different level. And, like, he's jacked out of his mind. He told me his max bench press was like 435. Like, dude's just absolutely jacked out of his mind. But, like, when I sat down and talked to him about speed training and, you know, his philosophies and stuff like that, I mean, it was so insightful. It was so detailed, and I dared people to talk to him about strength and conditioning because he will make anyone feel so dumb. He made me feel dumb while I was sitting there just talking to him. Yeah. You know, there's some yeah. things he was talking yeah. about. I'm just kind of nodding my head. I'm like, yeah. But, yeah. I, mean, right. I mean, he was just so smart. He was so in-depth about it. I mean, I love strength and conditioning just as much as the next person, but he, he's on another level. Like, you know, I may be average. He's already – He's not even done with college, I think. I think he's going to play one more year of college football. I mean, he's going to be huge. I agree. He's absolutely yeah, going to be huge. For sure. For sure. Um, where do you see yourself in about two to three years, five years, and ten years? Honestly, man, I love where I'm at. Like, it, from two to three years, five years, and ten years, I'd love to be where I'm at. Um, I love Good Pastor Christian School. Like I said, I work with great coaches. Um, and I love these athletes, dude. Uh, I told my wife, um, who was then my fiance when I was interning at Good Pasture, uh, about three years ago now. Um, I told her if I ever left here after my internship, um, if the job ever became available, which obviously it did eventually, but if the job ever became available, I'm going to do whatever I can to make my way back here because it's just such a great environment. I love it. So, I mean, honestly, dude, ideally, I'd like to be here. So. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. Um, you know, if you are at a place for a long time and you really enjoy it and, I mean, you got to hang on to it, man. If you, if, you know, if, that, if you know that that's your place, you know, in the, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming you're a Christian because, you know, you're at a Christian school. I mean, sure. Sure. You know, there's God puts you in the place for a reason. And, yeah. you know, and you kind of get that feeling, you know, of, you know, is this where God wants me to be at this point in my life? And that's awesome for yeah. you, man, that you found 
that point and you're like, I feel like this is where I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, God really answered a lot of prayers and, and has blessed me in, in more ways than one with this job, man. I, I really can't thank him enough and, and be more thankful for my situation in general. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, what are your biggest weaknesses and strengths as a coach? Uh, my greatest weakness would definitely be making the weight room my bread and butter and sometimes putting the lift before anything else, right? Just because that's, that's where my comfort lies, mindset-wise, is, is the lift, right? So that's definitely my greatest weakness that I've had to try to reconfigure and, and fix throughout the past year. Um, but I think one of my strengths is uh, relationships. Um, I try to always build relationships with my athletes in a really healthy and professional manner um, to the best of my ability. So they can not only come to me with questions about why they're doing or what they're doing in regards to the weight room and how it improves them on the field or court or whatever they do. But also, you know, if they're struggling mentally, spiritually, whatever things like that may happen, I, I want to be them, be there for them too. And I want them to know that I'm there as an outlet if need be. Right. Um, that's really important to me. And it's something I always try to work on. Um, so, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome, man. All right. So what we already kind of touched on the subject with Cody and Brandon, but what are your top five coaches that have influenced you in strength conditioning? Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I would say top five uh, in no particular order. I don't do one. I don't do number one and number two. I don't do that. I can't do that. Fair enough. Um, but I would say top five would be um, Brandon, um, Cody Hughes. Uh, I would say Jerry DeFilippo um, of Challenger Strength up in New Jersey. Yep. Um, Super great guy, puts out a ton of incredible content. I've had quite a few phone calls with him. He's an awesome dude, um, full of knowledge. Um, I would say uh, Pat Basil, who I've never actually met in person, but I mean, <laughs> Pat Basil puts things on a level that is so easy to understand. He probably does that better than anyone else in our field that I've seen, at least. Um, so he's definitely one of them um, that has made a big impact on me and let's see number five um i would say would probably be uh our nhssca testing director kylie feldman um mainly for the fact that she was one of the coaches that was the most willing to share her mindset with me share her principles with me share her programming with me she is a giver by nature and she showed me that from start to finish I would consider us pretty good friends at this point. And even when she didn't know me from Adam, she opened her arms up and welcomed me in like I was her best friend. Like that, that lady is incredible. And she's an incredible woman and incredible strength coach. She's awesome. So she's definitely on that list as well. That's awesome. I met her at NatCon and, you know, I love talking about NatCon because it's such a, it's such a cool experience. So if anyone's not out there that, you know, it's a high school strength coach or whatever. It does not know the NHSSCA or has not been affiliated with it. I mean, you need to go out there. You need to because, you know, it's it's people like her that, you know, encourages 
younger generation of strength coaches and encourages just people in general just to be in this field. You know, and I said a time or two, strength conditioning field can be very intimidating. It it can be. You know, you see all these guys that, you know, throw around like dumb weights and, you know, got 600, 700 pound squats or whatever. I mean, it can be kind of intimidating yeah. at first to get in this field and you're like, I'm, you know, I'm not that strong. Personally, I'm not that strong. You know, I'm a I'm a 235-pound bench guy. I'm about four 450 squat guy. You know, I'm not I'm not yeah. you know I'm not a power lifter by any stretch of the matter. But and, you know, I like to lift weights and I like to run. Well, sprint. I should say run sprint. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's people like her. It's people like um, Cody Hughes and Brandon that make this field worth it. Um, so last couple questions here. Who's a coach that you believe? Everyone should be falling on either Twitter or Instagram. Oh. Mm. I would. Wow. That's really hard. If I. Oh, just. Uh, first reactive instinct is to say Pat Basil. Um, Pat Basil is probably number one with. Ooh. It's a tie between Pat Basil and Brandon, I would say. Yep. Um, Pat Basil and Brandon, I, I've gotten so much from their content. And, again, I feel like we talk about Brandon a lot on this show, but for good reason, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Brandon, he, he's the man. It's, yeah. You know, plain and simple, he's the man. Yeah, he is. He is, dude. Uh, last question here. Lastly, what is a personal hot take? that you think is necessary, but a majority of coaches, sport or strength, does not agree with? Man. I'll take that you think is necessary. I would say, ugh. Hmm. Okay. I got one. Um, I think, and I, I'll, I say this because I think some strength coaches think this, but they don't want to admit it because they don't want to get crucified by strength coach Twitter sometimes. Um, I think it's good every once in a while to push a team to the utmost limits of their physical capability. Now, what I mean by that, okay, we talked, we were joking earlier about, you know, gassers to no end until you puke, okay? Right. I don't necessarily mean that, right? But I think there is benefits to, for example, um, our baseball team. Our baseball team loves work. They love work. I mean, they are just one of those teams that's just a team full of alphas and a team full of dogs, and they're just different, right? They want to be put and buried into the dirt because they get some type of weird pleasure out of it, right? Like, they love it. They just love it. Like, so in turn, I'm going to give them that in a safe and healthy way, right? right? I'm going to, uh, one thing we do is plate pushes, right? We get a 45 pound bumper plate. I have about 17 yards of turf in our weight room and we push that 45 pound bumper plate on that turf and I separate them into teams and see how many down and backs we can do with that plate push in a 10 minute time span and see which team wins. It is brutal. It is brutal. I mean, they get absolutely destroyed by it. But 
that team benefits so much from that, even though from a strength conditioning standpoint, from the science of it, right? Right. It's, it's not doing anything, right? Like, let's just be real. Like, it's just not doing anything. But that team lives and dies for that type of grittiness, dude. You know, we That's joke awesome. about the grind and like you never – you never want it to be a grind, right? You never want it to be a grind. Like it needs to be a smooth rolling gear that, you know, powers a strong engine. Okay, I get it. I understand. All right. But every once in a while, if you want to bury a team and just make them, make them know what it feels like to truly be in the trenches, I think it's good for them, dude. I think it's good for them. Like call me an old head all you want, but put those dogs in the trenches every once in a while, dude. Guys and girls, guys and girls, every once in a while is good for them to feel what that feels like. Man, let me tell you what the what how should I say this? The grittiest athletes I've ever seen ever are softball players. Softball and baseball players. Yeah. Cuz I've seen yeah. <laughs> I've seen softball and baseball players, you know, you put you give them all the work possible, they'll throw up on the side and they'll keep going. Like and I joke around with football because I've been around for it for so long. Football guys, you know, you you hurt your pinky or you hurt your ankle, whatever. You're out for the season. And, uh, you know, baseball and softball players, those jokers, you can give them all the work yeah. you want to, and they will puke and they will throw up and they'll crawl and they'll do everything, yep. and they will still give you more. I'm like, God. Yeah. Puke and rally, dude. Puke and rally. That's, exact, that's exactly how they are. I'm like, I, I just couldn't believe, you know. You know, we talk about, you know, players being greedy, stuff like that. Baseball and softball players are greedy. Yeah. Yep. They'll yep. give you everything they got and more. I'm like, God. Yeah. Dude, I, I think I think there's a time and place for it, man. For sure. Everything has to be by the book, scientific. Every single, it doesn't have to always be like that, dude. Let them know what it means to work. Let them know what they're going to feel like in the fourth quarter of a basketball game a so or in the last inning of a, a, of a softball game when they're down by one with two outs left. Like, let them know what it's going to feel like to be pressured. You do it smart. You do it safe. I think go for it, dude. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, man, yeah. thank you for being on here. Thank you for, you know, sharing your time and having these great conversations and, you know, sharing just your thoughts in general, man. You know, it's always good to hear from multiple coaches and, you know, hearing different point of views and all that kind of stuff, man. So, you know, thank you so much for taking your time to be on here. Dude, it's an honor and privilege to be on here, man. I love what you're doing with this, Coach Raspberry. Uh, I think it's going to grow. I think it's going to be something great. It already is something great. All right. I'm just honored you asked me on, dude. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So that's another episode of the Conjure Chats with your host here, Coach Raspberry. Yeah, thanks, Blaine. Thank you for being on here. And in the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today.